0: it's very attractive or very sexy for us to find a secret formula, right? But I can tell you there's no secret formula. Um, look at it holistically. And most importantly, you've got to be logical and sensible about it. So you've got to have a bit of business sense. Now I've, I've come across many people who say, hey, I don't know how to run business, so how can I invest? Actually, you should look at it from the other way. You, we are in a much better position than the businessman. You know why?
1: Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part? It's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash F-R-E-E or www.firl.co slash free. Okay, guys, welcome back to the podcast, this edition. Today, we have a... um I like to say that you are someone I know exists, but we only got acquainted <laughs> yeah. very, very recently only. Yes. And uh, we have always been uh, in the space. We know we have a lot of mutual connections. Mm. And so uh, it was It is still a bit of a confusion to me as to why only recently we managed to connect. But regardless, uh, you know, welcome to the podcast, uh, Mr. David Po.
0: Well, thank you for having me, MJ, and a right. wonderful team. It's good to be here, finally. <laughs> yes, at long at long last. Um, I think this is
1: something that even myself don't know. A lot of our guests that we bring on are, you know, people who we know for quite a while already. And so we kind of know their story, but we want to get our listeners to know the story so we get them to repeat. But in this case, uh, totally fresh for me, very interesting. So yeah. before we always like to talk about, you know, investing in the styles and the philosophy and all that. I always want to know your early years where
0: how were you raised with money? Mm. Well, um to start off, we I didn't start off with uh money. Sure, <laughs> This journey was quite uh colorful for me. Okay. Um I was uh born and raised in a uh Chinese we call it Kang Zijia means uh, the new village right is it a uh, typical no a typical no. family oh okay uh, a a nucleus family okay, okay where both parents are working but they are sure. not uh, financially inclined so I grew up thinking you know having this uh, mindset that money is hard to come by mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, investments are pretty risky <laughs> uh. I think like most 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 um. I'll call myself Gen Gen X or Gen Y. Gen, Gen X. Are you born before, or after 1982? I was born in '78. So okay, think so Gen my H. Age. Yeah, yeah. So, um, growing up, um, you know, uh, investment wasn't really on the table. Yeah, you know, we, uh, on the dining table, right? So, my father wanted me to do accounting. Hmm. Interestingly, okay. because I, maybe he think he thought that's that a safe bet, right? you yeah, say but I wanted to pursue music. <laughs> that was my first passion. <laughs> yeah, I told me that uh, I want to I want to try out orchestral directorship. I said no. oh you want to be the one conducting. yeah because wow. back in high school, I set up the choir. <sighs> and then in university, I did all sorts of uh, funny, funny things like setting up a quartet, uh, founding the choir for my, right, right. my university, so on and so forth. But then my dad said, "You have got to choose something more realistic." Mm. So I don't want to do accounting. Then Mm -hmm. I don't know why the rebellion in me, and uh, so I thought maybe let's meet him halfway. So I decided to take engineering. Wait, how is that halfway? (laughs) (laughs) Because my father works um, in the telecommunication sector, right? Oh, he has been a technician all his life. Okay, okay. all right. So very very uh, grounded type of work. Right, right. His technical skills is damn strong. I really have much respect for mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, okay, why not? Since all my friends are doing it as well, right? Of course. And then I realized it is the toughest engineering subject in university. Did you, wait, you, did you do electrical engineering? I, I did electronics yeah, okay. engineering, majoring in telecommunications. Now think, yeah, thinking back, right? Oh man, that was the, I guess, if I could change something yeah, yeah. <laughs> back in time, that will probably be something that I want to change.
1: I don't know. I don't know as an engineer whether you you agree with this. I mm. hear a lot of other engineers also mm. say this, right? Uh, the reason E and E is typically the hardest is because when you get your feedback, everything is harsely. I you, mean, like it, when something is uh spoiled, right? You you know, it's like a bridge. Yep. If you can see a crack, yes, you can. You know, civil engineers are basically ah. you can you can try and fix it. Yes. Like mechanical yes. engineering, some of the parts not really working, you can try uh-huh. to fix it. But when you see
0: something not working in- Electronics, it, it's right? It's gone. That's where you need all the probes. And yeah. f- in electronics and electrical engineering, yeah. your mathematics has to be very strong. It's very theoretical so right? Yes. It, yeah. And that's where I really, I do not excel. Yeah, mathematics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm more inclined to the outside who's trying to prove myself in the engineering world. So you can, you, can, you can see the yeah. disconnect there, right? But um, if you ask me whether I regret- um, I mean, in the, in the whole scheme of things, right? right. right. Um, at, at this moment in time, no. And in fact, I, I, I value the experiences mm. and mm. the training that I had in from, uh, from university, moving on to my 10 years career as a uh, uh, telecommunication, telecommunication engineer. I call, in short, we call it RF engineer, mm-hmm. radio frequency, because it gave me the foundation and the thinking process yeah. that I meet, the systematic thinking process to do what I can do today. Right. Give me yeah. a sense of like why is doing RF
1: like complicated. Because to, to us it's like on oh, radio law. Uh, to, to us uh, okay. outsiders.
0: Well, if I put it simply in the very layman's term, um in electronics there are two uh two worlds huh? sure. One is things that you can see. Yes. So the cables that you can see, right? Yeah, yeah. The fiber optics you can see, yeah, right? Yeah. RF is in the air. Mm. So it's invisible. <laughs> How do you know that? The mobile phone that you, you're you're yeah. you holding now is connected to a base station somewhere around yeah. the, the area, right? And so how does it
1: know which one is D G, which one is PCs? So
0: this is in a realm of electromagnetics engineering, mm-hmm. and in that realm, mathematics play a huge role. Right, right. And and this is not something new. You know, the theory has been around for many decades. It's just that it has reached a certain commercial. Uh, yeah. that the technologies are commercially viable now. It used to be very expensive. It used to be very expensive. right? Yeah. So I think naturally I'm inclined to, uh, I have a certain affinity towards telecommunications, uh, right. communications per se. So when I started uh, investing, that's what I look at first. So back to your question, um, my father played a big role yeah. in yeah. how I grew up. But up to a certain point when I say when I realized that hey, this is not really not what I do, you know mm-hmm, after ten mm-hmm. years working on the engineering field then I, when I realized that there are actually a lot of smarter people out out there there different kind of also, well, right yeah, and I'm not it's talking not just math and all that yeah yeah and and because uh the nature of my work required me to travel a lot, I was yeah. project based uh, so I traveled a lot around around countries, different countries like. I mean, from shit, I mean, sorry, uh, <laughs> from uh, development countries like Bangladesh, <laughs> India, ah, okay, you know, right. Papua New Guinea right, to right, right. very developed countries like uh, China, uh, Taiwan, Japan, right. right? Then I realized that um, this is really not something I want to do. And sorry, which, which which? Uh, I assume you were working for a Telco? Yes, I was a contractor. Ah, okay. Uh, so I was a to a lot of different projects. I see, I see. Especially when I met a lot of Chinese engineers from China, right? Man, different, those uh, guys are smart. And, and I, w- I remember I worked in a Shanghai Bell Lab in uh, Putong, Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody in the room has either a master or a PhD, you PhD. Know? Yeah. And I was there with a degree holder. And the reason I was there is because I represent the vendor and I know mm. how to speak Mandarin and English. English That's uh, it. You know. And I know that somewhere down the road, they're going to overtake us in terms of language even. Yeah. yeah 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 so to cut the story short um i'm I decided to take the leap, and my mom played a big role, okay she was the one that you know supported me and she was the one that f- she was my first uh she was the first portfolio that I managed, so to uh, speak because shes uh he said hey David, this is my savings wow, please help me manage it, yeah, so that was where I get the first taste of it I see yeah. so but in that 10 years, no investments at all? Um, personally, I started, I think, somewhere back in 2006, 2007, okay. I can't remember. All right, all right, I wouldn't call it investing. Okay. It's basically throwing the darts blindly because um, during my um, projects, I met a lot of engineers right. from Thailand, from Japan, right? I mean, you you think that engineers are very serious, right? When they go to the office, put a laptop, first thing they'll check is the, 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 the engineering stuff, oh, right? Yeah. No way, man. Tell me, let me tell you the truth. Most of them, or a lot of them that I know uh, in a more intimately, yeah. the first thing they look is price so charts, technical charts. I used to know this project manager uh, from Japan, ah. all right? Uh, he's, a, he's a very nice guy, but he dabbled a lot in Forex. Mm. And that mm. was back in 2004. When was the uh, tsunami year? I think 2004. Two thousand four, no, right? Banda j in right? Yeah, in, 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 yeah, in, in Japan. Yeah. So I, I got to know this guy. Hey, he, he's a very nice guy, you know, but he, he really spends most of the time on the screen looking at Forex. Mm. So one mm. day he was saying, David, come tonight, I treat you a beer. I just won a Ferrari tonight. Wow. Then a couple of days later, he said, oh, I lost that Ferrari again. So it's very volatile, but it got me interested because charts, you know, yeah. talk to me. Well, look, hey, this is very interesting. Maybe yeah, something yeah. I can do, you know. So after I came back, I started to learn myself. Hey, sorry,
1: it might have been like really crazy, right? Because mm. maybe you're engineering, you're, you're earning an an engineering salary, and usually you you guys get paid decent. But when you hear things like, "Well, I just want a Ferrari," literally in those few minutes or days, yeah. Wow,
0: well, that's how many years of money exactly. And I was kind of junior. Mm, I mm. wasn't earning big bucks then. Mm. Uh, that only come came later. Uh, but it's something that I really think, hey, maybe this is something I could do as well, you know? So, you know, like, without having a proper uh, j- uh, education journey, I yeah. just simply took out, read whatever that I can. And my first book was actually on investment, was actually reached that for that. <laughs> uh, that's everyone's first love. Yeah, yeah, know? but it wasn't enough for me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I ended up took taking up technical analysis because it was the easiest route for me. And if you ask any engineer out there, I mean, uh, the those, math behind TA is nothing uh, for you guys. Um, I guess personally, I I like patterns. Mm, mm, mm. So technical analysis is a lot about patterns, yeah, right? Yeah. Then after a couple of years, um, I got hit by two thousand. Uh, sorry, I got hit by the uh, the uh, I think was it two thousand one, the nine eleven attack. Ah. Yeah, so I think sorry, I think I got my 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 years uh, a bit sure, jumbled sure. up, but there was a time. That's what bear markets do to you, anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but that was my first uh my first taste of the bear. But my second taste of the bear was in two thousand and eight. Yeah, the big crisis. Yeah. Man, I I guess I lost about seventy percent of my portfolio mm-hmm. then. But you know, being employed, you have this sort of like a, comfort. Uh. Comfort or buffer zone, we say, Hey, never mind now, I can earn it back. So, you do not really have that kind of respect uh, Mm. or uh, urgency when it comes to your capital, right? Because it's not like you're a retiree. Exactly. You're never going to grow that pie anymore. So, now I'm a full time investor. My view on my capital is totally different from Mm. then. Yeah. So, back then, I thought, Wow, this technical analysis is really. It's not easy, you know. Yeah. It's not as yeah. easy as it looked, right? So I think by chance I I I stumbled upon a, a local, mm-hmm. I think our yeah. ex employer, right? So I took up the course, it's called value investing, and realized, hey, actually financial analysis is not that uh complicated. Yeah. As long as you know the step one, two, three, four, five, right? e hey, maybe I can do this, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that is when I met my mentor. Yeah, uh, His name is Stanley and he's still with us. Right. He's our advisor in my company now, right? So I think that was the time where I started on my uh, value investing journey. Right. Yeah. So what,
1: what caught you about, what caused you to catch this value investing bug specifically? Because there are many different types of investing, right?
0: Yeah, I think the the most fundamental re, uh, uh, attraction is that it's logical, mm. right? Uh, because engineers, you know, we, we think logically, right? So, okay, first step, you just look at a set of, you know, uh, we call it SOP. Yeah. So the operating process, you look at the top line, bottom line. Then I realized they have a catch, operating cash flow. That was very. I thought this is something very um, complicated to right, understand, right. to decipher, right? Then I realized actually it's not, as long as you know how to interpret the numbers, yeah. we, we don't really have to know how to derive those numbers. Those are the the uh, uh, responsibilities job. of the yeah. accountants yeah. and the auditors, right? So, uh, be- because before that it was, it was always my mental block there. And then I thought I need to know how to derive those numbers. Well, I mean, it, it helps for you to know so sure. that you can make sense of things better. But the most important thing is how to tell the story from the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's when it took off. Then that is when I started realizing, hey, actually my portfolios are improving, and that was also the time when I started taking on uh, more family members' portfolio. Like my second portfolio was actually my brother's. I see. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, he he needed to consolidate his finances, uh, because he was planning to get married. So in a, in a span of two to three years, I managed to double his portfolio. Nice. And I felt good about it, and I realized, eh. Hey, Maybe this is my calling, you know, because the satisfaction, the uh, the uh, fulfilment that you get from 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 that kind of uh, yeah. uh, results makes me very much more satisfied than when I was uh, working for my working my ass off for my bosses uh, yeah. in the engineering companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in short, that was my
1: journey. Right, right. Yeah. And so you discovered this thing called value investing, maybe about.
0: Ten years ago now, I think to I took my class in 2011 or 2010. I can't remember.
1: Right, so about, yeah. about ten years ago,
0: Yeah. Then, uh, it worked for it worked for some time uh-huh. until I hit a uh, plateau. Okay. Then I realized hey, mm, There's something. There's mm-hmm. I needed to get much more, but I couldn't get it from the the uh the that style of investing than the the than the style right. So I needed to venture out um, because I realized that actually looking at numbers are not enough. I need to uh, go broader, looking at macro, looking at markets, looking at um, the industries. And that's where I realized, hey, actually I can marry what I learned from my university and my career Ah. into my investment uh, journey, you know, to make sense of things. And, And I realized, hey, actually Malaysia, because, before I was more uh, um, familiar with investments, right? I think like most a lot of people out there, we thought that Malaysia is oil producing company, right? And only oh, oil producing yeah. or plantation. Then when you go deeper, uh, then you realize actually Malaysia is also a very important semiconductor player in the Huge, world, yeah. in, the, in the world map. That, then when I, when, I, when I found that Malaysia exports, the total exports, about 40% of total exports actually came from yeah, uh, yeah. semiconductors and electrical stuff, right? This is something that I can really mm-hmm. bank in on, right? So that was um, that was my second phase of my uh, investment journey. Right. When I got out of the value investing uh, school of thought and moved, uh, upgraded myself uh, 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 philosophically or mentally.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. So what are some of the other, like specifically, that upgrade that you mentioned that maybe what you had before wasn't sufficient, but now you feel like you're much more
0: equipped. Okay. Um Back in the days, um, when we okay, I w- I would say my first uh uh schooling was more on quantitative analysis. Okay. Right? Then um, there is another there's the other second school of thought, which is the more qualitative part. Yeah, yeah. And and this this um um quote quote from Benjamin Graham, you know uh, Warren Buffett's uh guru, right? Yeah. Uh, stuck with me. He he always he he, he said that uh, in his book um the uh security analysis. He said that investment is most intelligent when it's done business like yeah so investing is really about investing into a business that's all yeah right then it made me realize that actually other than looking into the numbers i really need to know what the business is about what kind of market they are they are um operating in mm-hmm. right what who are the who, who is the management right how what is the uh, how, where do they stand in the whole scheme of things? Right. And, and that's why I realized actually qualitative analysis play a much more important role than the numbers because the qualitative parts drive those numbers. It's yeah. not the other way around. Numbers will speak for themselves eventually. It's just
1: ver- it's a verification on uh, the
0: numbers of- Well, um, num- you can, numbers will give you a certain aspect of the business, but it couldn't tell you, it won't- Everything, here. Yeah. It won't tell you what how they will do it. Is it man, is man the management or at least how the company is run. What business they are in. What way which industries that they are operating in. That will at least give you a sense of where they are heading to, because I think you understand right. Any business has its ups and downs. Oh yeah. So at the end of the day, it depends on how well or how uh, uh, I would say um, forward looking the management is right. to, to, um, to, to, uh, to withstand all these uh, ups and downs, right? right? Yeah. Then uh, that is where I realized that actually we really need to understand mm-hmm. and how do we do that? You've got to go to AGMs, you've got to meet the management, you've got to le- read a lot, a lot of reports. Yeah. So most of the, our time now is not spent on watching the screen for the price, uh, the tick movements is really reading reports and especially industry reports. As it should be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I guess, my second phase.
1: Uh, right, so, so I, I want to learn a little bit more about this because it's very interesting. So one of the, the starting point of any investor who now maybe read books, really mm-hmm. watch videos, watch this podcast, um, they haven't started yet. One of the big questions they always have is at the beginning of the process,
0: how do you find ideas? How do you generate ideas? Ah, good question. Um, so we have this thinking model where we look top down first. Then uh, to, to when we look top down, means we look at what are the industries that we should be investing hmm. at a certain particular um, phase in the market because market, markets are very cyclical, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, then from there, when you, after that, then we do a bottom up uh, screening. Okay. Let me give you an example. Um, I think uh, semiconductors right? The semiconductor is so wide, but uh, which segment of the semiconductor value chain that we should be looking at now right? Where are, are they the EMS or the OSETs or the equipment players right? So different phases of the market, um, different um, I would say the market dynamics. Market dynamics has a lot of elements, geopolitics, of uh, supply demand ch- uh, supply demand, uh, you know the uh, economic cycle, right? So we need to be a bit more mindful. So after we determine the the big the broader picture, right, yeah, right, then we try to filter down. So there's a funneling process, right, right. to see hey, which particular segment that we want to look at. Maybe in a more broad, broader sense, for the benefit of your of your of your of listeners yeah. or our listeners, right? I think everybody knows that EV is the next big theme now, right? Right. So in the in the EV value chain are there any companies in Malaysia that stand to benefit or are they doing something about it? Or how are they related in this uh, uh, mega trend moving forward? So we do a bottom up screening after that.
1: So before the bottom up screening, right? Mm. When you are looking top down, how do you figure out which areas to go into? One, then the second one is, even if you know like this particular area is gonna do well, that doesn't mean that you're in the right part of the cycle to get it. Definitely. Right? So yeah, first question first, like what, what are your
0: sort of criteria to decide? Well, which industry for that, we, we don't really have a specific set of criteria. You just have to got to read a lot. True. And with social media these days, yeah, yeah. Plenty information yeah. is virtually free, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not condoning to uh, free stuff, I always think that you have to pay for what you consume, right? There are a lot of subscriptions out there where you can get a lot of research reports, mm-hmm. uh, magazines, uh, right? Like, uh, I think Fortune, mm-hmm. or, that, or the, this is a Wall Street Journal, right? And you can get a lot of insights from there. You see, we, we don't really look at analyst reports as our first- Because um, bi- there's potentially a bias there, right? There is a bias and they have a, I mean, these reports will come but if you look at the top-down uh, uh, f- uh, uh, approach first, we have to look at a much bigger. Uh, we had need to have a much wider bird's eye view. Yeah, that's where we do a lot. We, we we consume a lot of industry or sector reports, and that's where you realize. Um, that's where you can smell where the uh, where the uh, capital is flowing to. Let me give an example. Um, I think with the ESG. Uh, yes these are oncoming of the ESG wave, right? More and more capital is flowing to renewables. Mm -hmm. Less and less uh, money is flowing into the traditional oil and gas and energy, right? And uh, it's it's like financing is getting harder and harder for for these uh, energy players. So, I mean, think about it logically, let's say we project the future five, 10 years down the road, which industry, which part, of, of I mean, among these two, right? Where do you think uh, the growth is? Yeah. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. Does not mean that oil and gas will hit yeah. rock bottom right away? No, yeah. there's an eventual phase. Yeah. But investing is about long-term journey. So you have to decide, okay, um, if I want to have, if I want to invest for the next five ten 10 years, where should I put most of my money at? It's not wrong to put some money energy because of all the, uh, dynamics is happening right now right geopolitics war you know um supply demand uh, imbalance right it's o- it's okay to put some uh allocations into energy yeah. but yeah. for a longer term much bigger allocation it should be in something that is growing right instead of shrinking yeah so that is where we start um, then um ad- after looking at the uh this uh sector reports and because we, we only invest in Malaysia, although our uh, research uh, spans global, Right, then you've got to be a bit smarter to s- try to connect the dots yeah. to see, uh, are there any players in Malaysia, any companies, any manufacturing any outfits in Malaysia that actually stand to benefit in this yeah. particular trend? I, I can see. tell you, uh, actually, when people tell me that there's nothing good to invest in Malaysia, right? They are so wrong, man. They are so so wrong. Just go to Penang. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's tremendous. And I'm not just talking about the sexy things like EV. You know, do you know that actually Penang has a lot of solar manufacturing plants? Mm-hmm. Not just Penang. My hometown, Kuching. Uh, the uh, the one of the largest solar players uh, uh, Long Yi Is there? You know, uh, and the the plant is uh is just about less than ten minutes away from my parents' place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then you and for these players to be in Malaysia, they've got to have support. They have got to have an ecosystem that that support their industry, right? Their 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 enterprise. Yeah. So that is where our local players come in. You know, equipment players, yeah. the outsourced uh, semiconductor services, and that's where you do the bottoms up because there are more than there are definitely a couple, right. right? So which one, um, has maybe a better advantage against the other right. uh, uh, players, so to speak? So so now we move to the bottoms up part. Mm, mm. So
1: you've got the you identified that this is the trend and all that. Mm-hmm. What would you say are the things you look at for the bottoms up?
0: Okay, first and foremost, the numbers has to be there. Okay. Because that gives you a sense of how well this company has been managed, mm. has been performing over the past few years. Right. Um, and
1: how far do you usually go back? Some people like you know Buffett like to say he <laughs> reads. Well, before he bought Bank of America, he read like fifty years.
0: Or yeah, something you, like you that. see, we Over have got to years. take what Buffett says with a yeah. pinch of salt. Not to say that he's wrong. Yeah, uh, it's it's that he operates in a much, uh, the very much different market than what we have here. Yeah. Now in America, you have companies. That spans across different, uh, many decades here. Yeah, yeah. If you can have a company that is uh, doing very well for 20 years, I think we can consider very lucky already. Not
1: right? only that, even if there are companies like, you know, your Syme Darby's and Maybank's that have been around for
0: 40, 50 years, yeah. right?
1: Uh, actually, Busa's
0: website doesn't even go go
1: back there. Exactly, exactly. To, yeah. So
0: limitation. it's very subjective. Um. Yeah. We prefer companies to that has a much longer of history or records because it's it gives it us more conviction. Mm. Right, and companies that can evolve is what we like. Right. Yeah. So I think numbers. Okay, first and foremost, the financial numbers has to speak for itself, and then secondly, um. Of course, when I say financial numbers, you're talking about the efficiencies, the efficiencies, the ratios, all this has to be in place. But they're not the most important because they don't tell you how well they're going to do, right? Yeah. Then, secondly, you've got to really try to um, um, assess them qualitatively. All right. So you, you, we assess the, the top down qualitatively first. Yep. yep. All right. Then we, we, we assess the bottom up uh, qual- quantitatively first. Mm-hmm. Then only we look at the qualitative parts. Okay the 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 angles right, right right so in that regard um we you there's no other um, no other way but to really meet the management and how mm. you do you do that you go to AGM yeah right and during AGM um if you 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 get only one opportunity to meet them once a year right I mean make use of that opportunity by engaging them yeah. you know, ask questions right don't be shy because if you're shy the loss is yours yeah. right um, also, um, and that is where analyst report comes in now, because um, a lot of these are investment bankers. The analysis, the the, the analysts, the fund managers have access yes. to management, so you can get a lot of insights from the reports as well. Now, when we read those reports, we don't really um, look at typically things price like, target, uh, so like Price targets. We look at the qualitative, uh, or even the quantitative um, uh, information from the report. Mm. Like for example what's their uh, capacity, what's the utilization rate, yeah, yeah. what they plan to do. And sometimes you can get a lot of hints, although it may not be so direct. And this way, having a big picture gives you an advantage because sometimes they cannot, the, the analyst cannot divulge too much information for the fear of, you know, uh, towing the line with yeah. the authorities, with the, the regulators, right? And that's why I we, 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 we realized that having a bird's eye view of the industry gives you a much uh, 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 added advantage to understand uh, the potential even more. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's how we, then of course, later on, uh, of course, you ha- we have to map this into actionable. Yep. In a portfolio, right? So that's another totally uh, different school right. of thoughts, a process already. That's where, you know, allocation risks, uh, your risk profile, the market timing plays a role as well. So, you know, one of the things about
1: timing is, I mean, before we talk about like risk management, mm. portfolio management is valuations. Yeah. So this is uh, like, this debate among investors is is never ending. Mm. Where do you, how do you describe your way of-
0: Our view doing on valuation, valuation, right? Yeah. If I put it simply, valuation is very subjective. Yeah. We got to have a model to work with. That is granted. Yes. So you got to come out with a valuation model of your own. All right. So each each invest different investors, different analysts, different fund managers has their own way of looking at it. Have the look. Have their own ways of deriving at a. Yes. I normally try not to use the word, but because Warren Buffett uses, so I, I I guess other for the lack of a better word, intrinsic yes. value. Right. Um. Why I don't really um. Use that term is because intrinsic value to me is a moving target. Yeah, right. Uh, sometimes it will go up, sometimes it will go down, depending on the situation, right? So for us, we look tend to look more at uh, what the company's potential are, where 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 they are. Let me give you an example. There's this company called um, I I I mean when I first uh, step out on my own in 2016, right. One of the first few semiconductor companies that I follow very closely is this company called Geotronic. Yes. So disclaimer: I'm just sharing my ex- experiences with your listeners. Right. Sure. It's not a recommendation to buy yep. or sell. Um, and and to to assess this company on a qualitative angle, right? I realized that hey, this company is they evolve in time. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because Geotronic used to do a lot of um, timing devices. No, when correct with correct. the influx of the these uh, s- uh smartphones, the uh, telecommunications right timing devices play a huge part. Then, when the market becomes too congested, they move, they move on. on sensors, move. right? Things like that. Before sensors, they move on to LEDs. Yep, correctly. And then, because we do our and and because the, the way we do our research is very deep dive, we we try to dig who their customers are, mm-hmm. and one of them. Uh, uh, the customer. They call it the fruit company. So we've met <laughs> not management before, but yeah. they, they like to say fruit company. Yeah, fruit company, but not, company not really that. Actually, one of the companies is uh, involved in LEDs, mm. right? And then from LED, it is a natural jump towards sensors because LEDs and sensors. So that is where my engineering yeah, background yeah, plays yeah. a huge advantage, right? Is the physically, the device is the same. LEDs, right, light emitting diodes, but yeah. the way they are being used, applied is different, mm. right? So one is used for illuminate light. Sensors is to capture the sensory or all the environmental signals, whether it's, dis- whether it's
1: distance or temperature uh, or, or
0: pressure, mm. and convert it to electrical signals. Mm. And that's where uh, you know, uh, and 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 this is applied to you know a lot of huge, uh, myriad applications applications from uh, smartphones to uh, machines to automotive. Yeah. Right. And, and realize, hey, actually this, this company really evolves over time. So um, they are not, they are not uh, just static there. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, so this is, this is the butt part already. Uh, in the past couple of years, uh, we realized that they have been plateauing. They're not really growing and we can't really get much from the annual reports or re, from yeah. re, uh, the, the, the recent analyst reports as well, right? Um, and, and then COVID hits, we didn't ha- really had any opportunity to engage with the management. Um, but recently, uh, based on the, from the latest annual report, we realized that actually they are venturing into EV, mm-hmm. EV related like ADAS, you know, uh, Advanced Driver Assisted Systems. And that sparked our interest again so we're trying to engage with management to understand what they are, what they have been doing in the past few years, and um, to to try to extrapolate what kind of out what kind of future they will have. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm sorry I can't give you a very clear step by step process of what we do. Um, that and to be honest, if I were to give you another case study, right, the process could be totally different. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, you realize that we really look at it from a business angle. Yeah. Right. We try to see. We try to evaluate the management's actions. Yeah. For example, is this what is the management accent, uh, actions aligned with ours as a shareholder? Are they, do do we think that we, do we believe that they are creating more shareholders' value in the future, yeah. or they are doing something stupid, yeah. like buying more land for whatever purpose for property development? Right. Issue. So Right, rights issue is uh, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. depending on what they plan to do with the capital Correct. that they want to raise, and and when they do the rights issue. So yeah, like, because yes. think about it, if if you are the the thai, if you are the um the managing director or director of a listed company, right? And during the COVID, the pandemic, the regulator released. I mean, relaxed the rules for you to raise yeah. money, right? I mean, as a businessman. Would you want to take this opportunity I, I know I would mm-hmm. right so we always have to think think of it evaluate any situation from a businessman's angle and and the exact business that they're in all right yeah then r- later on you, you had to track what did they do with those uh, money they raised yeah and that yeah. is important right now and, and but these Fair things enough. take time yeah. yeah yeah I guess valuation is not as easy as a buy below p of 10 <laughs> well yeah. um for starters yeah for beginners I think it's a good um, uh, model to yeah. follow through, to 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 use. But I can guarantee you, as along your own your your, your journey right, over time, you realize that it, there is something that you are not seeing from that particular. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say uh, it's approach. one angle. or it's just one angle. It's one angle, and in in investment, right? One of our philosophy is never base your investment decision based on one particular metric. Yeah, be it quantitative or qualitative. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, we we subscribe to George Soros' theory of reflexivity in our yeah. spiral thinking model, right? Um, and one of it is that it's very it's almost impossible to ascertain absolute truth. Yeah. Why? Right? Because you see, when it comes to science, right, objectivity, right, you need to have a lot of proof to prove that it is right. Yeah. Yeah. But you only need to need one falsifying statement or one falsifying proof yep to make the whole thing collapse correct yeah so coming coming back uh, looking from that point of view into whatever valuation model or metric that you use in your investment decision right take always take it with a pinch of salt and always question never stop questioning yeah um I say when I was tr- Dabbling with TA, right? I always look for things that I think is right. <laughs> mm. Because you, you tend to want to look at things that uh uh fortify your your action, yeah, yeah. right? But in um investing in proper investment, right, we always look for things that may go wrong. Maybe we have overlooked certain uh aspects of the business. And I can I mean if you ask me, right? Uh, what are my failures or- We'll we'll get to that, hold on, hold on. I can tell you we have loads of them. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, (laughs) we'll get
1: to that, your successes and failures. But just before that, I think the last bit, which I think a lot of investors don't spend enough time thinking, mostly because maybe they don't go in with that mindset of, well, I have to treat my investments almost like a business, right? Like I have to create systems and all that. Uh, One of the big things I, I always believe is the importance of risk management and portfolio management. Mm. I think that even if you are an okay stock picker, if your risk management and all that is pretty good, right? You are likely to outperform actually. Over time. Yeah, that is my view. So, Um, How do you see like risk management, right? Do you, like some people say you risk management is like stop loss, having stop losses. Some people say like it's allocation. Some people say it's, you know, you need to diversify across different industries. How do you look at Mm, all this?
0: It's to answer the question, you have to see the personality of the investor. Mm. So what I'm gonna share next uh, to answer your question is purely based on For my you. personality yeah. and my characteristics, right, and my, invest in, and my risk appetite. Mm. To be honest, I'm a risk taker. Okay. Why? Because I, I, I quit my job <laughs> as an engineer, right? And uh, to, to go full-time as investing. So definitely in my DNA, I'm a risk taker. So, but to be able to take on risk, you have to take on risk in a smart way you can't just take on risk blindly, right? Um, so as a rule of thumb, um, I think most of your uh, guests has also touched on this topic as well. It's all about allocation. Right. Right. Like, and allocation goes both ways. Let me give you an example. If, you know, uh, for us, a rule of thumb is, if you want to go more than 15, 20%, right? There has got to be a very good reason for you. And mm-hmm. that would include fundamental reasons fundamental angles, qualitative angles, the macro as well as timing. We can't escape from that because we are full-time investors. We can't afford to just look at uh, purely banking on value and wait for the yeah. market to realize. Because I mean, if you are not a full-time investor, you, you have the luxury for to wait but for, for myself and my team, we are all full-time investors, we can't. A right? bad
1: year means, uh, you know, eating- Correct, so like, 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 like,
0: like this, it was a bad year for us, you know, uh, most of our portfolios, uh, our own portfolios were down between 8% and one point in time it was down 20%. I think a lot of people are, are, are experiencing that as well, right? So, so, coming back to the risk management, right? To us, allocation is first and foremost very important, but. Allocation is not a fixed um, metric as well. Yeah. It actually should be flexible. For example, when you, let's say you decided to say, hey, this is a good company. So I think I can allocate 10%. Are you going to go 10% right away? Yeah, you probably want to take it slow. You can, DCA it, you yeah. can. Because if it goes up right away, 20%, yeah. wow, you feel like you are the smartest people in the room, right? Yeah, yeah. But what if it goes the other way, Yeah, right? If you have 10% right away invested and the stock is down 20%, that's 2% to your portfolio bottom line. And to make, and to just to break even, you need to make back that 2% before you can actually create a yeah. uh, uh, gain of profits, right? But on the other end of the spectrum, if you underallocate in a rising, when the when theme, when the thematic is rising, right? Then what's the point when you spend so much time Yeah. To, to go deep dive into a particular industry, into a particular business uh, um, uh, company, you know, spending so much time to understand the management, then you allocate 5%. Because the stock can go up 10, 20, 50%, but the effect to your portfolio is only could be minimal or, right. yeah, or negligible. So it has got to be a uh, a moving target again, depending on a lot of factors. So here is where um, I I divulge from where my my first phase of my investment journey where I don't look at technical market sometimes timing plays a role here because that will gives you a an edge and that, that is why because I, I'm not good at timing the market that's why I have a team inspired thinker to to you know we ideas a lot and in my team there are two or three um, members who are very good in reading the market I can't because so I rely on, I uh, bank, I mean, I leverage on their knowledge, right? Yeah. And that's why the concept of alliance is very important because investment, you can't do it alone. You've got to gather your own like-minded people, right? The people that share the same value as, as you do, right? So again, sorry, it's a huge circle back to your question. So allocation, and allocation is, should be flexible. But if you decide to go more than what you're comfortable with, so your comfort level could be twenty percent. Yeah. Mine could be forty. Yeah. You see what I mean? Um you have got to have you got to have very good reasons why you decided to push a location beyond your what mm. what you what you think is normal. Yeah. For example, back in 2020, we had actually 60 at one point in time we had 60% invested in glove stocks. Mm. But, were, but we were even late in the game, you know, because all of us were skeptical. You know, with the numbers, with the with the <laughs> with the uh, projections that the management gave, right? But um, after we gather all the inform, I mean, all the data, the information, we even had our own in-house um, analysis. We say, "Hey, this is a chance of a lifetime. <laughs> if we're gonna take only twenty percent, right? That's not because our portfolio was down so much back in March and yeah, twenty twenty, yeah, right? I remember. So, so we. I remember mine was like down like a third or something. Correct. Like that, so saying. the other. Angle perspective of risk management is also the reward. Yeah, because if your portfolio has been down, say thirty percent for the year, you've got to know a hey, with the amount with the balance capital that you have in the portfolio, right? How much more risk do you need to take to make back huh? for you to make back break even first? I'm not talking about making money yet, right? But of course, by doing so, you are taking more risk. So you've got to be really careful mm. and really cautious at what you do. You've got to really. Explore all angles. Yeah, yeah. So that is where um, market timing plays a role. When I say market timing, it's not really about just looking at charts. Mm. To me personally, charts is a manifest- manifestation of market psychology. Yeah, simple as that. If you if you can, if you just treat charts that way, you can actually benefit from technical analysis. Yeah. And that time, we know that actually the momentum of the uh, 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 glove stocks were really, um, I would say, <laughs> quite unbelievable. Uh, because there are a lot of new players coming in, you know, and then analysts were like in a race to see who will give the <laughs> higher uh, price targets. Remember yeah, those those yeah. Uh, the the glove mania. Then, so we decided to take um, we. In terms of timing, we say this is the right time to go into this uh this sector. So we bank in hard. But I think we only hold our allocation for less than three months. Right. Yeah, because the the dynamics, even if we factor in the future growth, right? It's just crazy. I, I'm 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 not sure if you remember. What was the PE of some of the gloves? Hundred. Hundred, hundred and twenty times. So to us that is like does not make sense already? Yeah. Did it make sense? So we decided to take profits. In fact, before the end of 2020, we were zero invested in glove stocks. Mm. We took our profits. We power it into technology. Yeah. So this is where, um, um, based on I mean, what what we do, how we allocate portfolio, uh, the alloc- how we uh allocate our capital is really about thematics. Yeah. Yeah. We seek value, but we we look at themes.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. So, um. That's very interesting. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about how you look going forward now. What mm-hmm. the, what is the, what was the team this year and also like going twenty twenty three, but before that let's talk a little bit about um, some of your home runs and some of your not so home runs. Okay. So what would you say are some of the best investments, monetary investment? I just ask this question, people say, oh, does my daughter count? You know, they always say that. <laughs> but I'm talking about monetary investments that you've, you've
0: uh, made. I can, I can talk about one particular one mm. that uh, will cater for my big, one of our biggest wins and our biggest losses. Interesting. <laughs> okay. So you see, invest, investing is really, is really very flexible. When you thought that you are right, right? <laughs> Sometimes the market can whip your put yeah. your backside and prove you wrong. So this particular investment we've been following since many years ago was Asia. Okay, yeah, okay, I, I know. Uh, back I know. in 2014, right? There was a um, that was my first uh exposure to Asia. Right? Um, the the stock took a dive, man. About I think more than sixty seventy percent in less than four months because of a. Uh, uh, short seller's report. Uh, short seller was uh, based in Hong Kong, called GMT. Yeah, They yeah. um they, they accused Asia of uh, fraudulent accounting. So back in the day, I was still very much focused on quantitative, right? So we look at the numbers, we look at the balance sheet. Doesn't make sense. Only the thing is, maybe the debt only like, a bit higher. Exactly, high. but about it, it, yeah. it is how the aviation industries, uh, uh, the, uh, the accounting was, you know? So to us, that's not a big flag. And then, you know, with the cash flow and everything, to us, is like, hey, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I remember that I mean, I was invited to a Telegram group then, so I was you know always you know uh, singing about how great Asia was, you know, and that um, you know uh, cheap flights is the future, you know, is the, is 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 the, is, a, is a trend. So I remember the stock uh, died from two about two bucks, two over more than two ringgit all the way to 70, 80 cents. So my last buy was 79 cents. I didn't wow. manage to catch bottom. Then it rebounded back up. So that was my first catch, right? The confidence level up one level, <laughs> right? Second catch was during, I think, 2018 mm. when they start to try to rationalize their business model. Because as, as, as a value-seeking investor, right, we do not like capital-intensive businesses, just like Warren Buffett. We prefer businesses that uh, uh, as light as possible in terms of their capital expenditure requirements. But of course, to be realistic, not all comp- not all businesses are like
1: that. And some businesses that actually spend a lot on CapEx actually do a lot better. You know, yeah, exactly. So it depends like on
0: what industry yeah. you're in. Yeah. So in the airline business, everybody know that it is a very capital intensive business because you need to buy and maintain planes, your planes. Yeah. Then Tony Fernandez, uh, Asia Management, came up with this brilliant idea. Why don't we sell all our plans and list it back? Mm. Now, in terms, I mean, this is not a new idea, you know. When it comes to properties, the if you talk to a lot of property uh, investors, right, this is something they have been practicing, right? They, I mean, you, you can. this where REIT is. That's the concept of REIT, right? So A H is trying to go that route. Yeah. And to us, they're like, "Whoa!" They announced in March twenty um, eighteen. Stock price move out. Wow, oh, brilliant, man! This is a brilliant uh, move for mm. of management. So it took our interest again. Then uh, we decided to you know look deeper into it. We decided to put our money in, right? Then to cut the story short, it was all the way. Uh, um, of course we enjoyed the special dividend yeah, the big fat one. I think it was like forty percent DNU as you remember. Yes, and like that time that. the cash flow was uh the company was netting about two billion. Yeah, it was the peak uh, actually. Cash it's, flow per it's year. You peak, man. Exactly, and you asset light. So we start to have we we start to be very imaginat- imaginative <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of what they can do, you know. And that time uh was when the management started to talk about um fintech, Te- being a technology company. And that really attracted us. while wow, this Imagine saw is a great dream. To be fair, I mean, in all fairness, I think that would have been able to carry it through except the fact that COVID happened. Yeah. Right. Now, when COVID happened, it, I mean, uh, the first inkling of it was, it happened towards the end of November, December. Yeah. But we were so blinded with our... <laughs> investment thesis of this, the growth of aspects of this company, right? Um, That we didn't really take note, or we, we don't really put a lot of weightage on this possibility of a Black Swan event. Yeah. Right. But then Chinese New Year happened. I remember back, I was back in Kuching. I even took Asia back. I was so proud of it. Right. Even took all the ancillary. <laughs> like, Nothing's happening. Yeah, Everything's fine. Yeah. So, but during Chinese New Year, my, you know, my dad likes to, Look at Chinese news channels, ah. right? And shit, it hit on me. You know, my god, this is really happening. So after Chinese, after Chinese year, we came back. We said, "Hey, this is not good, man." So we had to um, bite bite the bullet and cut and sell off all our Asia holdings, uh, and, and take a really huge loss. Wow! And we sell at the bottom. <laughs> so, so to be fair, I mean, I mean. Um, Investors like us, right? We are not, we are not any wizards. We are also human. We are, we are prone. We are susceptible to emotions mm. as well. So that particular um uh, journey to us is where we we really made a lot of money for the first two rounds. And to be honest, I think give we it back, uh? give it back everything on that. Yeah. Mm. So that is really, really a uh, eye opening experience for us. And mm. uh, because of that uh, um, um lesson, right. It really opened my eyes to really a, hey, you know. Yes, Warren Buffett says, "Know your company well. Forget about the macro." All right. For for us, we can't we can't afford to do that because some of the investments that we uh we uh have interest in are affected by these macro events.
1: Well, well, so was Buffett, exactly right.
0: Uh so so I mean, he bought like the four uh LCCs in. In America. He, right. he got hit, hit as Delta, well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good lesson for us. So I mean we so so again in, in invest in you know, in anyone's investment journey, right? Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Right. Try to make your mistakes as early as possible. But the most important thing is every time you make a mistake, learn from it. Now if you if you hit on the wall, but then you just bulldoze through and don't really look reflect what, where what went wrong, right? Then it's a wasted journey. Yeah. So where we are today, where I am today, is really a culmination of all these mistakes that we have we have um I would say we have uh, gathered along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I
1: mean before since you mentioned that Story I really wanna hear one more. Do you, do you have one more? It's so it's so interesting. Some of these You stories. mean the failure? Oh, uh, yeah. a, a, lot, a lot of lot. <clears throat> success or a failure. Maybe one success, one failure. How about that? Maybe let's talk since we talk about failure,
0: right? Let yeah, me yeah. let me maybe continue with another story. Yeah. So um back in twenty sixteen, um or even twenty seventeen, uh we were very on we were very early on when it comes to renewables already. So mm. one of the themes again, uh, so you see the 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 process is the same top down, solar is the yeah is the uh c- catching a lot getting a lot uh, getting a lot traction then right? yeah so there's one particular company based in Penang that uh, I started uh, uh, getting my attention, and the numbers were great, you know because they are from a very traditional business, and this company is called Texing.
1: you know uh-huh. what you you know you know what uh-huh now that you mentioned that right mm-hmm. I think the first time I met you was Texing AGM. Do you still remember. You really? Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. were
1: there also, and I remember they were talking about how, um, how they are trying to diversify. No, no. Before that, they were talking about a rights issue. Yes. And then the the lady gave some, in my estimation, excuse. Me, I say, well, better than taking that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Not everybody's I, insane, now, You know. <laughs> so true, true. But uh, yeah. So that's actually the first time I met you. I don't know if you remember. It's 2017. It was. And and I think a lot of people excited about it was because it was uh it was very cheap and exactly yeah existing it was PVC right I remember yes
0: yeah they, they were the tika tika lantai the, yeah, yeah also features.
1: the thing like when uh like lorries let's say if they drive with uh like some sort of commodity or whatever mm-hmm. then that that plastic sheet on top exactly. they were doing that as well right so then
0: they were going to solar and uh, yeah and that really excited me because fundamentally this company is a no brainer mm. their balance sheet was so strong. The management was so conservative. They're so, in a Hokkien, call it gasu, right? Yeah. Gassy, yeah. Then and then I said, hey, hey so you know. And some more, the 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 um, the elderly management, yeah, the family members yeah. were actually giving the reign to the young. Yes, yes, I remember. Yes. And, and to son, right? The yeah, sun. the son. And to me, that was evo- I mean, revolutionary, you know. So the future, the know? future. So I said, hey, this is good, but. Again, on hindsight, of course, I can talk about this now, like so smart about it, right? But then I was so blinded with you know the the, the future they were selling, right? They took on a hundred million ringgit investment capex on a new uh, factory. Yeah, well, they invested in a um, solar company in Taiwan.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I think it was called TS Solar or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm. Yep, yep. A lot, a lot of memories. Yeah, and the, and now. the great thing about it was because Taiwanese companies, um, they were, I mean they were required to report their revenue every single month. Ah. So we can I, I could actually track, you know, the, the, the associated oh, re- re- results. So the, everything was going well. Um, so they had go, got a huge, nice plant, uh, new plant in Bukit Mingyak. That time Bukit Mingyak is like still a very new, still a nobody's, a li- more or less a nobody's land. There were only two companies that I know based in Bukit Mingyak. Then one was Sam Engineering. We mm. can talk about, about Sam later on. The other one was uh Taksang. No? Then, but one thing again, uh, I really, that time I really disregarded to my own uh, expense uh, was actually the anti-dumping uh, uh, uh sanction, uh, which was uh, en- enacted under Obama's a- administration mm, because mm. they say, hey, you know, Chinese government is not playing fair, you know you got the, the government is incentivizing all these uh, uh, uh producers. That's why they are really hurting their internal, their own local uh solar PV uh, producers. So they're sanctioned. So suddenly there's an influx of supply and this yeah. supply has to go somewhere, right? So I mean, to cut the story short, Texan couldn't sell their, their, their PV sales, but I could, again, the ego in me <laughs> thought, hey, you know, I think they would be able to write through. But I overestimated the management's ability to write these uh, yeah. uh these uh challenges. So until one at one point at one such point I, I cannot take it anymore. I took A Asia flight to Penang. I remember I I rented a car. I think I uh, went I I went to see a friend uh, um in Simpang uh, Empat to talk about his portfolio. But then at the same time, after, I, after the Simpa the Park trip, I drove uh, past uh, purposely, uh, did a detour to go to B- Bukiming. Yeah. My God. It was, I remember it was almost lunchtime. Uh. Nobody came out from the factory. There were no activities. There were no loading and unloading. Yeah, wow. And then I went to the backyard because I checked the, uh, the uh, refuse, the, 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 the drainage. Nothing came out. Not even smoke. I know, oh, man, this is going to be a white elephant. And hey, 100 million. ESG compliant. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I realized that, hey, they're yeah. they are really yeah. in trouble. Then I went to the other plant, which we were invested as well, Sam Engineering. Mm. The business was so, you know, uh, it was so active. Yeah. Right? They were unloading the uh, nasal beams or the aeroplanes at the back. I was there to take you know, like a spy like, taking pictures, you know. So, this is part of our um, uh, research process as well. We yeah. go on the ground to track, to verify whether what the management says is really happening, is really there or not. And of course, some engineering uh, shareholders have been recently rewarded. La. Yeah. So, after that, I, I, I told my team, hey, bro, uh, guys, F, I F up on this investment thesis that we had to throw. So, our cost was about 70 cents. I think we throw almost about forty fifty percent loss. Wow! But if we didn't cut loss, then today the price is about thirty over cents. Yeah. So I guess we we, we just had to bite the bullet. Again, yeah. that was one of the most eye opening, um, um, most valuable lessons that I've learned along the way as well. Yeah. Right yeah. now.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, stop talking about depressing. On uh, let give me <laughs> give me a one that you know. That that has done well for you.
0: Well, well. Um. So just now, I, I guess when I was sharing those uh case studies or stories, yeah. right? Yeah. You also realize that actually when we follow a business, we follow them for for really a stretch of yes. time. We don't say, hey, today, okay, let's let's look at this company. Then a few weeks later, say, okay, let's invest in it. No, that's not what we do. So normally we would, even though we are not, this company may not be in our purview. May may not be in our purview to put in our portfolio. We may, not, we may not have allocation, but because of the industry that they are in, we're interested to know, so we will buy a market share, we will attend AGN, we yeah. start to um, collate our investment, uh, our research, and we put, and we actually archive all our findings in our own uh, database, research database, right? Then we, we, we actually had a lot of stuff about SAM Engineering since 2016. Uh, we knew that SAM Engineering, yes, um. They are traditionally doing a lot of uh, hard disk stuff, uh, semiconductor, but they are trying to venture into aerospace. Mm. So have they have got the 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 management had this a um, uh, billion dollar journey where they will want to you know uh um uh grow their their top line by venturing by um focusing more on aviation. So that time you know again the same thesis about S A Asia but instead of uh, uh, investing into the, into the airline, we're investing in a manufacturing supplier. Yeah. So they make, uh, Sam Engineering for your listeners benefits, right? They, uh, they, they, they produce things like the parts of the wings, the uh, the, uh, the nasal beams that hold the engines, the other prismatic parts as well. And then they sell it to companies like GE. They don't sell it directly to the uh, uh, playmakers like yeah, Boeing yeah. or Aero, uh, Airbus. They sell it to the engineering companies. Right, So they were doing very well. And um, aviation was really taking off, you know, and and that's the beauty about investing in Malaysia. Yes, a lot of people say that we are at the bottom of the food chain, no meat already, but we have advantage. Why? Because you can actually have a foresight of how your companies are doing by looking at the customers they serve. Yeah. So at that time, both Boeing and Airbus were coming out with really fantastic outlook of how many planes they want to build to deliver in the next 10, 20 years, you know. And you know, in aviation industry, it's really hard to get qualified Yes, yes. in the supply chain. So once you get it, means you are there for good unless you really did mess something up, wrong, yeah. messed mess up, right? It's probably even
1: more difficult than automotive qualification, definitely, right?
0: Definitely, because yeah. of the safety, uh, the, yeah. re- the regulations, right? And the safety requirements. So, so Sam was actually, we, we made quite a lot of money uh, uh, in the first, um, I would say, uh, investment phase. Then uh, we took profit. Again, we are very thematic. Uh, we kind of forget about it, <laughs> although it's a great company because one of our biggest issue with Sam was liquidity. Yeah. Every time we go to AGM, you know, we t- we try to engage the uh, chairman who is the uh, agent of the Masak because the Maset, Sam is, yeah. is a majority owned by the Masak, right? Say, hey, you know, this is a great company and but the problem is liquidity. Then his, his answer was, you buy from open market, you know? Uh, <laughs> but that time, I think um, Mr. Tan a fund, Yes, iCapital. iCap, I think he bought a lot huge stake, yep. right? So he, again, they drain out a lot of liquidity from the market. So we, we decided, great company, but because of liquidity issue, we can't really um, look at it seriously. Doesn't, we can't really build a meaningful allocation from this. So we decided yeah. to put it apart, KIV. Then COVID happened. Again, aviation industry crashed. Sam, as a conduit, as an agent, I mean, as yeah. a proxy to this, right? Exactly they really got hit badly, but a lot of people forgot about the other part of the business, The which semiconductor. Is semiconductor. Correct. They were, I mean, they disclosed it already, so I can publicly say this. They were serving people like Teradyne, Lum I mean, uh, and many other names. Yeah. right. Huge names in the OSAT and the APE business, right? Yeah. And we realized then, yes, the aviation part was really bad. They were making a loss, but, Based on the uh, semiconductor, the technology segment alone, right? It makes the valuation so cheap, you know, single digit PE. And we thought that hey, this is something really. I mean, again, another chance of a lifetime. So one of the technology stocks that we move in, that we that we move our allocation to after selling the glove uh, uh, stocks it's was Sam Engineering. I remember that time was the price was about eight ringgit, and it went all the way to about twenty twenty ringgit in a very short span yeah. of time. Yeah. So that was I think one of the <laughs> brighter Fantastic. stories that I can share with you. Yeah, so you, I mean uh, you you have quite the history with uh, airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the
1: the goods and the bads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh thanks for all the case studies. Now, when you look at when you look at, you know, what you've experienced or that, you know, try and distill for me some of the biggest uh, learning lessons. But also I want you give your thoughts on some of the myths that you hear a lot, people use it a lot, but you either disagree or, you know, like I mentioned just now, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, we talk about Buffett, right? Buffett's famous for a lot of these small, small little quotes that can be misunderstood. So give me a sense of what you think are the biggest myths in investing.
0: Well, um, let me, I've got some notes here. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, again, I guess one of the myths that a lot of, that I would really like to debunk in this is there is no holy grail, simple as that. There is no one secret formula for you to make it big in investment. Yeah, right, right? I can agree with that. Yes, Um, there is no one formula. When people tell you, hey, follow me, follow my indicator, follow my style, you make it big. I. There may be some people who 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 succeed in that way, mm. but I can tell majority of it will not. Yeah. Right. Because you see, you have to understand what investment is. Yes. Investment essentially is partaking in an economic activity. Sounds simple. If you invest in Malaysia, in Malaysian market, you're saying, "Hey, I believe in the outlook of the Malaysian economy, be it the." regardless of the sectors, it could be plantation, it could be energy, it could be some financial, it could be semiconductor. Yeah. But you believe in it. That's why you invest in Malaysia. If you don't believe it, why do you invest in, in Malaysia, right? What Then move your money elsewhere, isn't it? Um. So in that regard as well, so if you zoom it down to a more uh, micro level, you have to choose the type of business that you invest in, right? So again, coming back to the philosophy that I talked about just now, right? Investment is most intelligent when it's business-like. So that is very important. So... To really appreciate that, you have to look at it as a business and not a ticker, not a number, not a a price target that you can achieve out of the blue. But you've got to understand what they they do. You have to really intimately know your managers because as your own portfolio manager, so I, I, I have this saying that everyone is your own, his or her own portfolio manager. You are running a business of managing different types of businesses, simple as that. Right, so try I know it's, it's very um how to say uh, it's very attractive or very sexy for us to find a secret formula, right, but I can tell you there's no secret formula. Um, look at it holistically, and most importantly, you've got to be logical and sensible about it, so you've got to have a bit of business sense. Now I've, I've come across many people who say, "Hey. I don't know how to run business or so how can I invest? Actually, you should look at it from the other way. You, We are in a much better position than the businessman. You know why? Because if this if this business I invest in doesn't work. I can just go away, change. I can just change, ma. If you're Tony Fernandez, you think you can just quit? No, right? No way, right? So they are stuck. there. Whether they like it or not, yeah. they have to go to make it work. But for us investors, I mean, investing is the... In my in my in, in, in my company's philosophy, it's the best job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> because you can get to learn a lot of different things. Now, when I first started out, I only know how to look at telcos. So naturally, telco was one of my uh first first few investments, yeah. right? And I only invested in one after all my analysis was which were digit Yeah. Uh, and I also invested in time. Then I slowly ventured out into, into um into other um other segments, other sectors, manufacturing, technology, energy, you know, which in my RF days, I, have, I know nuts about. Now, I, I, I wouldn't say that I know a lot about them, but at least I know enough whether it is worth for us, for me to invest in. Yeah. Now, second myth is, um, there is no get rich quick scheme. Investment is really a process. It's not like there's nothing, well, you may hit jackpot once in a blue moon. Like I think a lot of people would hit a lot of jackpot back in 2020 or even 2021. With but the 20, gloves especially. Yeah. yeah, come 2022. Right, but so if you do not have that kind of, um, I would say uh, stamina. Yeah. Um, or the, 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 the uh, mindset to go through it, right? Maybe investment is not, or you have to, you've got to really realign your expectations. So yeah. give yourself time. Now in investment, I think, I think you also know this, right? The biggest asset that all of us have is actually time. Yeah. So it's not, it's not your capital. It's not how much return that you can get every year. It's really time. Yeah. So really, um, I will advocate all the young listeners of our FIR, our FIRO to start as early as possible. Make your mistakes as yeah. early as possible. Because when you're small, you make small mistakes. You don't want to make the same mistakes when you are a few million dollars here. <laughs> uh, uh true. Yeah,
1: right? Very, very true, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I guess um up, apart from that and the rest of the things that I shared before, I guess two of the myths that I want to really yeah. debunk is this two. Very uh, There's one that's not holy grail and number two, you've got to yeah. give your investment time. Yeah. To you know, to really um to to really come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so last question. Uh, we leave this to the last because that's what people probably want to find out the most is when you look at your sort of top-down process, obviously we won't go into individual names, but what are the areas or industry that you are most excited of and why? And then just before that, what do you think of the macro condition today? Because one level above the industries of uh, that we look at is also things like the Federal Reserve, yes. inflation, yes. Ukraine war, Malaysia election, things like that.
0: I'll give you a teaser first to answer yeah. your first question. Then I will, I think I'll talk more about sure. the second question first because it's all interlinked. Yeah, yeah. So I will say one particular industry that we look at long-term evergreen is actually technology. Of course. Technology is deflationary. Do you know that? Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, I recommend all your readers to read this book by Jeff Booth. It's called The Price of Tomorrow. Brilliant book. What you can do with a handphone today, uh, ordering food, taking, I mean, doing banking, doing trading uh, and all sorts of communication, right? Compared to the Nokia uh, 3310, 10 years, I mean, less than 20 years ago. It's a huge- 24 hour battery though. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And remember those days when, I don't know, (laughs) maybe you're too young, but I'm not sure. Last time we had to limit our text messages, SMS to less than 256 characters. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. Each, each SMS cost 20 cents. And 20 cents that time is a huge. Yes, yes, yes. When I, t- when I share this with my kids, right, they're like,
1: what? I think my time wasn't 20 cents anymore, yeah. but it was 10 probably, cents, yeah, cent. something like that. Yeah.
0: Last time they had like the hot link card. It was exactly. 10 ringgit. And there was a price war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. This, yeah, so so technology is evergreen because mm, it's mm. always evolving. And if you look at it, the world is moving much faster than we can understand. And technology is moving in leaps and bounds that we can actually follow through. You know, and it is something that we cannot ignore because it will be the um it will be the core of everything that we do. Uh, because technology really, number one, it is very productive. It increases productivity and it is it decreases costs. Yep. So it is deflationary by nature. Yeah, I mean, the
1: TV is a very good
0: example. We were just having a conversation, Yeah, exactly, right? right. Getting uh, cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, yeah. TV for- Two something, yeah. Mm, slightly less than two over yeah. 2,000 ringgit. Yeah. To me, it's like a no-brainer. You know, this is like, I think one yeah. of your best value uh, investment right. decisions. Confirmary. In, yeah. So coming back, But technology is not an easy industry to understand. It is very susceptible to a lot of macro factors, Mm. like economic cycles, um, supply-demand dynamics, geopolitics, right? And again, so now I would like to bring in the second question that you talk about, Federal Reserve, the interest rate, right? Now why, and if you are a full-time investor or you are serious about investing, you cannot say you disregard this uh, factor in your, in the whole scheme of things. Yeah. Why? Because coming back to the earlier question about valuation, valuation is all, is a lot about assumption and it's very subjective. And one of the key components is interest rates, right? How you derive a certain valuation for, for different types of industries, especially high growth industries, they are very sensitive to interest rates. It will really skew your valuation model uh, in a big way when interest rates change a little bit not to say, I mean, notwithstanding this kind of magnitude that we're looking at today, you know, yeah. they mean every meeting they are increasing 75 basis point, 50 basis point. So the, but but you have to look, excuse me, you cannot look at it um in such a uh, narrow vision. I know people are really concerned about what the federal reserve will do yes. next, but you have, to, you have to look at it from a scheme of things, you know, a, a wider bird's eye view. Yes. Whether it's seventy-five basis points or fifty basis points or twenty-five basis points next, right? Right now, they only have one mission, which is to kill inflation. inflation. And to do that, do you think they are gonna suddenly pivot? No. So, so there's a theme now going on that oh, Federal Reserve is gonna pivot, right? That's gonna push the market back up again, right? I don't believe that will happen. Um, why? Because. If you look at the if so this is where history really takes a very important play a very important role, uh, we always look back in history, right so in when you study companies, it's based on numbers, and when you look at economic economy right or yeah. uh, models it's to really look at what people had done before right. So back in the eighties, I think all, every all everyone would have heard about Volcker. yeah Volker was the, one of the old uh, uh former uh, federal Reserve uh chairman. he also faced the same situation. But of course, dynamics were different then, all right. Um, so did he really raised the interest rate in a massive way. I think twenty percent. Yeah, and that time, Volker had a much easier task than Jerome Powell. Why? Because he doesn't. He didn't even need to have a conference to explain why they did that. Just turn it on and let the market, uh, you know, uh, uh, do whatever they want to do, right? But then when they saw the results coming in, when they saw that the inflation uh, were taming, they decided to pull the trigger and go the other way. And what happened after that is inflation spiked back up again. Yeah. So the current um, Federal Reserve administrations know very well about this, right? They've already come out many, many times, right? They say uh, inflation is the number one mission to, 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 to target now, to, to tame now. So they are going to keep at that, it. That's the way he used. Now I do not believe that, um, I do not subscribe to the market and this uh, um, um, expectation that they will pivot anytime soon. Um, best case scenario is they're gonna let in, uh, the interest rate stay on a high. So I think 5% is already a given. Yeah our biggest fear is they may think that it's not enough. If they raise to 6%, that will really cause pandemonium across the market. Yeah. So 5% is I think what the market has priced in already. All right. A lot of valuation model will, will be adjusted now. So this, again, uh, after this, I'm gonna talk about bringing all these numbers together. All right. Um. So if that happens, then probably if they were able to stabilize inflation and eventually go, I mean, hit the uh, targeted, they call it the restrictive uh, 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 region, right? They may, they may want to, they may start looking to relax a little bit towards the end of next year. But that to me is already very optimistic. We are looking at at least two years to really have a meaningful pivot. Okay, now there is one angle so I'm not sure, uh, have you heard of this thing called the Davis double play? No, I have not. No, right? So there's this very famous, uh, well, he's not as famous as Warren Buffett, but uh, this this guy called Shelby Davis, uh, he's also a very good, uh, very uh, uh, significant, um, uh, invest, very prominent investor back in the day. So he came out with this thing called the Davis double attack or we call it, we, we generalize it, David's double play because it can go both way. So he say that the market sentiment is actually affected by two things. One, the, I mean, your, the valuation, right? One is the interest rate and one is the earnings. stuff. Yes. Okay. So just now, whatever I talk about is just the Federal Reserve's actions, the interest rate. Now, when interest rate goes up, market risk tend to go the other way. Yeah. Because, uh, the capital, again, it's all about capital flow, it's all about liquidity, right? They would, they would tend to flow to less risky assets like bonds, for example. And uh, uh, equities, especially those in the high growth segment, normally will take a hit because people, are, investors are willing to take less risk. Back in the day when, when interest rate was close to zero, right? P.E. 100 times. No problem. No problem, right? It's justifiable. Today, you talk about P.E. 30, people are gonna question, are you sure? Right, so you see market dynamics play a very important role here, but there is only one angle. The other angle that people may have forgotten at this moment in time is actually the earnings outlook. Now, what the Federal Reserve is doing, trying to tame inflation is also to bring down um, and bring down employment rate, right? They are actually systematically or uh, uh, how to say, purposefully trying to increase unemployment rate. That's how they bring down demand. Mm. They cannot skew the supply, but they can they can, they can actually manage the demand side of the curve, right? So what they're trying to do is to create, uh, I mean, all their policies right now, their actions is really trying to tame inflation is one of them is to really increase the unemployment rate. Now, when that happens, when more and more people- We're uh, we already seeing this, right? Exactly. The- consumption is gonna go down. When yep, yep. more people, when consumption goes down, people lose their jobs because companies are less willing to-, to Savings to
1: start to evaporate. Yeah.
0: Evaporate. And it is a positive feedback loop. All right. And this is going to go on until an equilibrium is is, 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 is achieved. Right? And in the process, what do you think is going to happen to the earnings visibility of-
1: well, it's not going to be as good. because People won't want to hire anymore. Exactly. Unless the companies would have done better with fewer stuff to begin with. Like. And
0: don't forget right. the federal Reserve is trying to yeah. to tame demand as well. To I mean to to bring down inflation, right? So all this is designed to actually um is designed in such a way to really bring down the uh, inflation and one other is really true assets uh, uh prices. Yeah. And, stock equities is one of the key assets, right? Yeah. So with this coming down, do you think that things are, even though the Fed is gonna pivot, this is just one small portion of the the formula, you know? And I don't think this will happen- There's only so much they can do. Exactly. So this is a process that is started by the Federal Reserve and, and we can't really blame them for what they did because yes, true, they were very late in the game, you know, they were, they were, they were denied, denying, denying uh, the possibility of uh, inflation really affected the economy. But they do ago, have right? the
1: perfect excuse of, well, it's COVID, la. no one else, no other government has ever had to face COVID. Yeah, so this unless you consider what the early 1900s may be. Correct.
0: Nobody anticipated COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the whole scheme of things, actually everything is interrelated. Yeah. The, the first, the first, um, uh, but inflation came about through the supply side. When during COVID, the pandemic, yeah, everything the was locked chain, down, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, the supply chain was disrupted. So the logistics costs, the manufacturing costs, the raw supply all went up. Mm. It it really caused the next. Um, I mean, it really uh boost. I mean, uh, caused inflation to yeah. to to peak. I mean, sorry to 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 go up. Yeah, then people also underestimated the pent-up demand when the lockdown was was uh, released. The revenge spending, yeah. Exactly, exactly, the revenge spending. And this is what created the bullweed effect. No, so in, in economics, you need to understand, uh, it's very simple, meaning uh, because of this pent-up demand, right, the supply chain has to react to it. So they were, I think in, in a layman's term, COVID put out a lot of demand forward. So when the supply chain is to catch up, <laughs> when they, Eventually, do they realize actually the demand is not really there? Yeah, yeah, right. So, in our opinion, this situation is not so easily to be solved. Not, nobody is to be blamed, but of course, well, the invasion of Russia in Ukraine didn't help <laughs> because they jack up. Uh, but for me, prices. for me,
1: the the actually we just did a video on on inf- uh, inflation actually because recently th- it it has fallen less than people expected Mm -hmm. so the market as a mini rally right Mm -hmm. a lot of people forget this right they a lot of people like to blame putin because he he started it or he made it worse because he invaded in what uh somewhere in january february i think Uh, think when putin like full force invade the inflation rate was already like above five percent really
0: yeah, true. Yeah. So if it's something that is going to happen, it's just that he lit a- Nah, he just, yeah. He just lit a, ma- a match in a in a room full of gas. Exactly. But let's say, as a person, as a human being, I do not condone to any acts of, of aggression, any acts course, of war. That's something very bad. In investment, what we fear the most is not inflation, it's not supply-demand dynamics, it's really about war. Because war, yeah. Because when war break out, right, everything goes to the drain. Don't talk about valuation. It's really then, right? Even- <laughs> whatever financial asset you have, uh, maybe worth zero already. Yeah, yeah. So war is something that as a person, as a human being, I want, I really hope will not happen in this lifetime or in my children's lifetime. But looking at things, looking at the, 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 how the, um, how the, there is a paradigm shift in the world power now. I think, I mean, I'm not trying to scare your, your listeners, but it's something that we have to be mindful about. Actually, maybe
1: explain. I know it was supposed to be your last question, but since you brought this up, I thought it was quite interesting to touch on. Yeah, this. What do you
0: mean by uh, the paradigm is shifting? Because these kind of things has happened before. Mm. Um, you know, back in the, before World War II broke out, a lot, of, a lot of, actually we can do, we can actually derive a lot of analogy from what is happening now to then, you know. Mm. Um, inflation, uh, price war, tariffs, smoot and Hawley uh, uh, Act, uh, then uh, this nationalism. It started with Trump. I mean, Trump is not the again. She is not the reason that it happened, but he 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 is one of the instigators. advantage of it, uh. Correct, correct, and 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 suddenly everything can be nationalized. Everything is a concern. It's a national security concern already. From your, I mean, if you talk about technology, I can understand. But we talk about your food supply. Mm. but if you think about it, it's true also. And that is why China, China is, I mean, China is always, they are very uh, forward-looking. They understand the risk and they know that they have to really, they have to look forward, anticipate, you know, their supply mm. of all this food may be, yeah. may be under threat. Or raw materials as well. Exactly. That's why they went all out to buy, to procure a lot of all this raw meat and this food Uh, and, and since the pandemic, you know. um, So, so, this situation, right, I, my, I mean, after reading Ray Dalio's, after reading a lot of <laughs> um, um, uh, opinion pieces by a lot of these uh, uh, prominent economists, right, I think it's something that is inevitable unless unless everybody comes to the same table and talk things through. If things just um, go as it is, business as usual, you know. Cold War, Russia, uh, Ukraine, China. Actually, yeah. China and US is the biggest threat right now. Mm. The, uh, the diplomacy is really deteriorating at a much faster rate, uh, even compared to Trump's time, right? So if this would happen, right? And, and, and I think eventually, somebody is gonna be trigger happy, to, you know, to order the, the, don't know what, what action that yeah. may trigger a chain of effects. And that was how World War II started. Mm it's not because somebody started to bomb, it's actually from a very small uh, incident. Some, I think it was some uh, uh, assassination. World War I, you mean? Uh, sorry, World War I. Thank, yes. you. Thank you, sorry about that, yeah. So in this regard, Taiwan is a very important, plays a very important role. Um, TSMC
1: to be specific. Um, yes, again, yeah, it comes yeah. to technology
0: again, yeah, yeah, right? So I I can understand the insecurity the Americans are feeling. Yeah. If yeah. I were the Americans, right, I would be doing the same thing. Yeah. Hey, heck, I, I have all these high tech, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, things from, from my communications devices all the way to my military, mm. you know, you know mm. arsenals, right? And uh, most of them actually the most fundamental, yeah. fundamental, fundament, uh, fundamental parts are, are manufactured, are, yeah. in Taiwan, which is a uh, you know, <laughs> a People's Republic nation, so. They've got to do so. They've got to be the aggregator here, the aggravator here, right? And China being China, you know, they have got this dream of reunification. Reunification. I mean, so it's 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 a it's a case of two giants uh, fighting against each other, each having their own values and priorities, and all of us around are gonna get hit as well. Yeah. Right. So I think what they are doing now is right. Um, a lot of these technology companies are actually diversifying away. Yeah. Right? So a lot of them are actually started moving out of China a uh, couple of years ago since Vietnam, the Trump's time. Even here as well. Exactly. And that we always believe in any crisis, there's always opportunities. Crisis yeah. begets opportunities, right? Um, so because of that, uh, geopolitical, uh, 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 these are threats happening. A lot of suppliers, beneficiaries are moving out from this, um, I would say ground zero uh, regions, right? China, uh, this Taiwan. Actually, there's an opportunity for us, yeah. comp- countries like Malaysia or even Southeast Asia, because we, as long as we are deemed neutral, right? We are like the girlfriend that both sides want to, Yeah. To you know, be friends now, yeah. So, as long as we we uh uh how to say carry on the right policies, mm-hmm. you know, as well as we um how to say we uh carry on these diplomatic ties properly in a in a proper way, I think we should benefit from it. Case in point, sorry yeah, about yeah, that, yeah, yeah. a lot of automated players are moving out from China and Taiwan. Do you know that? Uh, from the latest vTrox briefing that I attended. Um, a lot of these plants are moving to countries like Mexico. Do you know that Mexico um, ex- 90, over ninety percent of the exports of automobiles actually goes to US? US. Yeah. So they are a very important automobile hub for US, and a lot of these um, uh, manufacturers, um, uh, automobile players are moving there. So com ATE players like trucks or ho- whichever company in Malaysia that has exposure to that kind of market will stand the benefit. Mm. And that is where again. Top-down, we look at top-down, we smell where the money is going, we smell where the opportunities are, then we see whether are there any companies in Malaysia that stand to benefit from this. And if there is, how probable are they gonna capture this opportunity and how sustainable it's gonna be? Yeah. Why I say this, why I add the last Mm -hmm. bit about sustainability because again, we are at the bottom of the food chain, right? So a lot of our companies, I mean, I mean being Malaysian, I'm very proud of a lot of companies that's that yeah. is, is home homebred homegrown right. Yeah. but if you look at if you talk to a lot of these um, people who are very used to uh, the global scale right, they say we are nothing, we are nothing but dignified, overqualified contract manufacturing, yeah. which is technically not wrong, not wrong. So we've got to understand whatever opportunity that our, our, uh, our businesses capture right, how sustainable are they?: Yeah. And that is one of the lessons that I didn't share up again in this session, uh, because a few of the companies that I invested early on was has having this contract contract manufacturing or CM mindset, and their their fate really is tied very much to their their principal. Yeah. So in the principal, were to cut off orders from them, that's it for for them. So this is we something know a that lot of the EMS guys exactly. So, in that, in that area. so yeah. being invested in Malaysia is something that we've really got to yeah. uh, pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Malaysia, I mean, just,
1: I think a week ago, the Bank Negara came out with reports on our GDP. It's like crazy good. Like I saw, it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, it runs contrary to the neg- narrative that we're hearing, especially now election season's coming up. Yeah. So Malaysia very bad, ringgit this, ring it that.
0: Why why do you have faith in uh, Malaysia? Um, I, I guess... It is a personal decision as well, sure. so there is of course uh, some uh, bias, personal bias. Yeah, because I, I choose to stay here. Mm. I have a lot of friends who my, my migrated, but thanks to them, thanks to a lot of people that migrated, not just my friends, there are a lot of opportunities here. Again, I I subscribe to the to the mantra of uh, crisis begets opportunities. Yeah, and our semiconductor supply chain, uh ecosystem, right, didn't happen overnight. It actually took about, close or even more than twenty years, since the since the days when Intel yeah. and HP landed on our shores, right? And they trained out this first batch of engineers who Agilent guys, yeah, yeah. agilent yeah. guys who I mean there are a lot, they are bound to be enterprising people like yeah. all the CEOs and the founders of the semiconductor technology companies listed in Malaysia yeah. today, right? Without if 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 this Western this. Um, um, the leaders of the market didn't come to Malaysia. we wouldn't have we wouldn't have benefited from the technology transfer as yeah. well right and for now um although we are at the bottom of the food chain right it is still something that nobody the, the entry barrier is still quite high yeah i believe that we still have the capacity as well as the foresight all right to capture this trend moving forward yeah but but this is where government stability comes into play, because if you do not have a stable government, then you cannot enact a, a policies that will actually benefit from. I mean, to to help these enterprises, these industry players to capture this. I mean, case in point, you can give tax incentives, you can give a lot of grants, right, to help the local yeah. players. One of the key um, major challenges that, uh, or the common challenges that I that I. Kind of gathered from talking to a lot of all these uh, management of these listed companies, right? It's actually the drain of talent, yeah, brain drain. Yeah, it's getting very tough for them to hire engineers. Hire is one quest, is one problem. Keeping them is also another challenge. Why? Because you get all you get all these MNCs like Intel, Lam yeah, Research them, man. coming to coming to our to your home ground, you know, and poaching all these engineers. So How what to say no, right? And they're paying. I don't know you in all the same amount but but so what can you what can you what can you incentivize them to stay stop options selling dreams <laughs> yeah so I think this is a huge challenge and unfortunately um this is where education policies play a huge huge role as well um I'm quite sad to say that I think this is my personal opinion that our our education policy has been uh, going nowhere since my time, since I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, if they had done well, if they had really been serious about it and, and, and you know, um, carry on, carrying on or enacting a very coherent education policy since then, right, until now, I think we, we should have a lot more talents going into the market compared to what we are seeing yeah. now. A lot of good people are actually being poached out of Malaysia or even out, I mean, to, to MNCs rather than, serving our- Yeah, there's something like
1: 1.5 or 2 million Malaysians outside of Malaysia. Yeah,
0: okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the number. Yeah. Uh, I don't follow the stats, but I just look at my friends. I've got friends, I just realized from my high school, you know, who are aeronautics uh, uh, experts working in GE, based in Japan. Yeah, I've got, a pro, I've got a friend who is a professor in mathematics. I don't, I don't know what was his, uh, <laughs> what was his expertise about to me, wow, imagine if they were to stay in Malaysia and work, work to improve. And ironically, do you know that Malaysia really uh, started venturing into technology, uh, semiconductor almost at the same time as Taiwan and South Korea? Yeah. But where we are today compared to them. So this is something that we've got to fix. Now, I don't know whether we'll be, we will be able to fix it in this generation, but if we do not, then again, like you said, uh, I may change my view of Malaysians outlook. Yeah. Um, I hope that do not happen. I, I'm still optimistic, being an investor, right? You've got to be optimistic. Yeah, lah. Yeah. If, you, if you're you not optimistic, maybe <laughs> you probably won't be investing. Yeah. Yeah, so I choose to look at it, but of course I'll be following through. Um, um, I, I hope that, you know, uh, the Malaysian pop, uh, public in general can, can see this in long-term view. I mean, in longer term view rather than, you know, just trying to get out of the country as fast as they can. But mm-hmm. we need talent to stay in the country to build the future together. Because otherwise, when there's no future, there's no investment opportunities already. Fair Remember enough. what I said, investment is partaking in a country's economic growth. Yes. So if there's no economic growth, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, makes it all all the more surprising, like How well we've actually bounced back up since uh. COVID. Yeah. Uh. Again. So the, you you right. you mentioned rightly. So that because this is election season. So yeah. one summer. Sorry. one sparrow will not make. Yeah. Of course. A summer. Right. Or spring. I can't remember the, yeah, the yeah, word, yeah. I mean the, the phrase. So I would be looking at maybe co- next co- the next uh, report. Uh. Then to 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 gauge whether sure. how sustainable this is. Yeah. But again. Even even when the numbers are not great, right? Trust me. On the micro level, yeah, there be will be companies. There will be sub, uh, maybe a certain segment, a niche market in a in a certain industry or yeah. sector that is um worthy of investment. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair
1: enough. All right, David. Look, it's been an excellent conversation. I believe this is your first podcast ever. Yeah.
0: Yeah yeah it's my first podcast so please forgive me yes if um, I'm not too uh, I'm not uh, no, as articulate well. as your
1: other guests it's okay you did well yeah. definitely there are guests who are not as articulate as you I will not name them but you know
0: I, I feel that there are a yeah. lot of topics that we can dive even deeper yeah. uh, probably in the future we can for have sure. more uh sessions like this to benefit 100%. your listeners yeah. yeah so
1: thank you for having us yeah you know what Uh, if someone wants to follow you or to connect
0: with you how do they do it well um I'm not particularly active in social media True. <laughs> because being a father of five. Uh, five? Oh, yes, yeah? oh I didn't
1: ask you about it for <laughs> me Okay, five. You got, wow. got,
0: don't really have much time. Wow. Um, but this is where a strong community yeah, plays yeah. an important role. Yeah. Um, We I mostly communicate through our own Facebook. So we've got Spiral Thinker Facebook. We've got Intelligence Investing Facebook, which I don't really update, update as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I try to make it, as active, I try to be as active as possible in platforms like Stockbit. Mm. Now I personally feel that Stockbit is a wonderful platform because it is a social community where it gathers not just um, uh, a lot of uh, followers, but quality uh, participants who really share what they think or their analysis on the platform. And I believe that, wow, eh, this is very different from what I used to uh, follow yeah. back in the days, right? Before Stockbit came about, when Stockbit came about, actually hey, there are a lot of people who are really serious. You've got industry insiders who share about what they think, what they see. You've got people who really uh, selflessly share their analysis on the particular industry sectors, all right? And and really kudos to the management team of Stockbit, right? Yeah. And I think that they will grow very far, and and I believe that whoever, I mean, for your listeners who are um, uh, fresh or new to investment, right? I think probably stop it is one of the yep. stopping point that you, I mean, uh, uh, a milestone that you have to go first. Uh, it is when from there you can pick up a lot of things. Back in the day, we had to look at forums. Mm, yeah, you know I know for which forums? one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not not before even that, that I something, right? Yeah. I was looking at the, I'm not sure whether you know, the PPH, no, the public, don't know what bots again, uh, the forums. Where everything was so disorganized, yeah, and and even then, I thought that I derived a lot of uh, education, self learned journey from yeah. those. And today, I think the I mean the investment community has so much tools, yeah, and uh, resources available to them with internet, right? Nothing. I mean, we shouldn't use the excuse of I don't know anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that is, I think, is something that. Uh, I, I can, uh, in uh, how to say, encourage your words, listeners. Yes. Yes. Good final so words. So you can find me there. I'll try my best to be more active okay, uh, in okay. those social media platforms. Thank you. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on,
1: David. Looking yeah. forward to having you in the future for sure. And guys, if you enjoyed the video, remember to give it a like, comment, subscribe, usual stuff, follow us on our other socials and we will see you in the next one.